Right, welcome back to another episode of the Burrow Sound Recording here live virtually in my crib this time. I'm your host with the most DJs are, aka Big Turk, aka Abu Kimchi and Beans. And uh, I'm honestly just going to start by saying this was a long shot. You know, I normally interview people from the city, people who are artists, but I've always been a fan of this gentleman. Uh, I first saw him on Rogan. And for some reason, that YouTube video is not up anymore, but I watched it again on Spotify today. Uh, it's a really insightful interview. You guys should check that out. But um, I'm speaking with an experienced orthopedic surgeon, multi-sport athlete, including the Highland Games, which I didn't even know was a sport until today. And I watched that video, and I, I'm definitely going to bring that up. Uh, he's also co-founder and CEO of Rivero. He is a carnivore diet advocate. The one, the only, the man, the myth, the legend, Dr. Sean Baker in the building. All right. Well, thank you for that that fine introduction. Appreciate it, man. Looking forward to chatting and uh, communicating with your audience. All right. I appreciate that. I appreciate your time. Um, honestly, the first thing I do want to talk about, because, you know, I don't want you to like repeat yourself. I know you've been on so many interviews and, you know, I'm, I'm familiar with your story. We're going to explain it to the audience as well. But can you talk me through your athletic career? Because I've never heard of an athlete that did as many sports as you and let alone like the range of sports you ranged from like you did rugby, you did strongman deadlifting, you did what else you did Highland Games. So like, how did your athletic career begin? Well, you know, it's kind of interesting when I was I think about an eight year old kid, I watched Bruce Jenner win the uh, 1976 Olympics. And I kind of thought mm. that was kind of cool. I wanted to be an athlete. And so I started out, I organized a neighborhood Olympics for the kids. And, you know, I, I, oh, won, wow. I won all the events, but I, mean, I still organized. And, you know, I kind of started out, I was a skinny guy growing up. I mean, I'm six foot five, but I was like, I was literally like six foot one, 130 pounds going into high school. So a scrawny little guy, mm -hmm. about 13, 14, got into lifting, started playing basketball. I moved to Texas where, where I still played basketball. I probably should have played football, but I didn't play basketball. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, then by the time I got into college, I was, you know, sitting at about 200 pounds and got gained about 30 pounds in college, got to about 230, started mm -hmm. playing rugby, started medical school and began playing rugby at the same time. It's kind of a weird thing, but the guy that I was, the gym I was training at named Paul McCartan, he made me, he said, if you want to continue lifting my gym, you need to play rugby with us. So I said, okay, I'll come out and mm -hmm. give it a try. Mm -hmm. And I was fast and I was strong and I could jump high and, and, you know, I was pretty, pretty, uh, pretty good athlete. So ended up, you know, making the all Texas team, the all Western U S team got recruited to go down to New Zealand to play with some of the best players in the world. Did that for about seven years until I got into my early 30s. Uh, and then I started switching over to uh, more of a strength sport uh, mm -hmm. sort of stuff. So I got into powerlifting where I, as a drug-free athlete, got up to a, you know close to an 800-pound deadlift. Um, and then from there, I went into uh, kind of this uh, track and field stuff. So I played a little bit of track and field in Highland Games, which you'd mentioned. In Highland Games, for you guys don't know, it's a Scottish sort of thing. You put a kilt on and you throw these big poles that look like telephone poles and shot put and you throw these hammers and these weights with one arm that weigh 56 pounds. So I ended up getting to the point where I was able to win the uh, the Masters World Championship. I was over 40 at that time. I set a world record in that event. And then uh, from there, uh, like I said, a little bit of track and field where I threw discus and uh, the, the, uh, the hammer. Uh, and the and the weight and the super weight actually super weight weight and the and the, the discus I ended up all American in just with a real brief period I did some strongman competitions in my 30s uh, I was a Texas strongest man over three you know, at the 300 pound class I was fifth at the national championships again this is all as a drug free athlete and then uh, 
I got into, uh, like I said, after the Highland Games, I got into rowing, which is kind of weird. It's kind of this competitive rowing stuff. So the concept too, which a lot of people are familiar with, they do CrossFit or some of these other things. There's a worldwide competition, and a lot of the Olympic rowers do that. And I ended up setting several world records on that particular thing as well. And then uh, I did that for about six or seven years. I still play with it a little bit. And then recently, I just got into jujitsu. So I'm doing now some of the jujitsu stuff. So I'm, I'm still a white belt at that. I'm still very much a novice, but having a lot of fun with that. So I've been doing all that all the time. I was you know, practicing as a surgeon for most of that time. I'm you know, out now, like you, as you mentioned, I'm a co-founder of a company called Rivera, where we basically reverse people's diseases. And uh, we use that using various diets, one of which is, is a meat-based carnivore diet. So that's... Mm-hmm. And then, of course, I'm on social media and, you know, doing all the crazy stuff I do. But that's it. I think if anyone could start UFC right now, I think it could be you. I mean, you have I, I really think that based on like your diet and your I think you could do it even at this age. And I'm willing to to co-sign you. I'd even be help, willing to help you coach. Well, I'll tell you, it's 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 I got a lot of respect for those guys having you know, started. In it. And, you know, I, I enjoyed it. it's a lot of fun. And I really respect what those guys do. And, and I do think, you know, honestly, and I've got some friends in, in that, that do mixed martial arts professionally that are using a carnivore diet and doing really well with it. They're, they're seeing a recovery is good, uh, you know, but there, there's a lot of skill that comes to that and that oh, skill sure. takes time to develop. And so I think physically perhaps, but I mean, it's, you know, you, you don't become a black belt overnight in any of the disciplines. And, you know, most of those guys have had wrestling since they were, you know, six year old kids. So it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's the, high, the level is so high right now. So I, I would, <laughs> I would, I would, I would think that'd be an interesting thing to do. I, I like I said, I, I like doing the martial arts stuff. I like the jiu-jitsu. I do plan on competing at the highest level I can. Mm-hmm. So we'll just, you know, we'll see how things go. Now, like I said, I am 55. So, you know, we're getting up there. <laughs> I, you know how they do a lot of like celebrity MMA now. I think we could get like a big vegan person and you. And I yeah, think yeah. that I would, I would definitely pay to see that. That might be interesting. Yeah, might, might be yeah. one to do something like uh, that. So, okay, so after your athletic career, you're in your 40s, you're gaining weight, you have high blood pressure, you think you're possibly pre-diabetic, and you start doing a lot of different diets. So you try the pescatarian, which is mostly fish and vegetables, you didn't like how you felt, and then you kind of slowly, gradually transition to like a paleo-keto. So at what point, because I, I, when I did my research, I saw that, you know, you were a fan of Vince Gironda, the the bodybuilder. And then you also came across Charles Washington's Zeroing In on Health, which was like a Facebook group. So which one came first? Like, were you like, because you kind of got privy to like the carnivore through the Facebook group? Absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, like you'd mentioned, I was about 42 and I was just not where I wanted to be health wise. I mean, I literally just won a world championship in Highland Games, a big, strong guy training my ass off. But I had sleep apnea. I had hypertension. I had metabolic syndrome. Most, most, almost undoubtedly, I probably was pre-diabetic and I knew something had to change. And so I was like, okay, well, let's start looking into diet. And so I did what we're taught to do eat low fat, eat a lot of vegetables, eat lean meats. And, and it worked. It literally, I, I lost weight. I got leaner, but I was literally a miserable human being. I was hungry. I was grouchy. I had a, you know, a trigger of a, of a temper, you know, the nurse like the, the fat Dr. Baker a lot better, you know, it was kind of like, <laughs> wasn't pleasant to be around. And I knew it and I couldn't sustain that. And so I had to, I had to bring back in more, you know, more, sort of fat in my diet, more animal fat particularly. And then as I did that, I, you know, I, I transitioned to paleo and then and then eventually this low carb and then keto. And then, you know, right around, you know, 2015, I started 
sort of looking, discovered this, this zeroing in on health group on Facebook by Charles Washington. And a lot of credit to those guys. I give those guys credit all the time. They inspired me to do what I, what I did. And I was like, these guys are friggin' nuts, man. They're fucking just eating meat all the time. Right. And so I was like, that doesn't make sense. And so I started just kind of reading and, and, and asking questions and, and looking at what their justification was. And, you know, I was like, well, hell, I'll just, let me just try it. And I just, I literally like, I'm just going to do it for a day. One day, big deal, steak, steak and eggs for one day. And this is the, you know, the Vince Garanda stuff where he would do, you know, four or five days, steak and eggs, one day car refeed. That was his bodybuilding thing. He was a pretty impressive guy. If you, if you look him up back way back in the forties and fifties, he had a, a futuristic body and this was pre any significant amount of steroids at that time. And so he, he you know, I think there was something there with diet. Mm-hmm. And, and so as I, uh, you know, continue to just sort of experiment a little bit, fast forward to 2016, I said, okay, I'm gonna do it for a whole month. And I was on, I was on Facebook, I was on Twitter at the time. I had a couple thousand followers and I said, Hey man, I'm gonna do this crazy. I'll meet that for a month. Uh, tell me what I'm going to die of because I know I'm going to die. There's no way I'm going to survive. Mm-hmm. And it was either heart disease, I'm going to have a heart attack, I'm going to get scurvy because I don't have any vegetables and fruit, or I'm, my colon's going to die from lack of fiber, right? And, and of course, none of those things happened. I mean, literally, I was like, man, this is the best I've felt in decades. I feel wonderful. I went back on my regular diet at that time, which was kind of a mixed ketogenic diet with you know fruits and vegetables. And I immediately just started feeling bad. And I was like, man, I don't feel that good. I felt better on carnivore. So I went back on carnivore. And I've been there now for six years. I mean, six years I've been doing this, and you know, I'm, here I am, I'm not dead yet, still, still, still hanging in there and doing well. And in, fi- in fact, I'm thriving, quite honestly. It kind of feels like the the carnivore community has kind of unlocked this like fountain of youth that we always kind of knew about. You know, like people are looking younger when they just eat meat. I've I've done it multiple times. I actually lost like. 70 pounds doing a ketogenic diet but i was doing one meal a day but you know no like sugars or anything and you know i felt like maybe i had like some kind of insulin sensitivity because you know some people hold on to to like excess energy easier maybe my metabolism slow whatever and every time i kind of like cycle in and out but whenever i do carnivore for like a week automatically there's like seven pounds of water that just comes off me and i wonder carrying that water weight like what are the implications for like your immune system like is it because you know we've normalized it that like oh yeah like you're just it's just water weight it's part of the carbs but does that have like a disadvantage to to your health well i mean i think you you you, you mentioned this sort of fountain of youth thing and i think what you're seeing is people are just aging like they're supposed to kind of normal we're not mm. supposed to rapidly age and i see i think we see people that are prematurely aging and in fact obesity is very much a hallmark of pre- premature aging. I mean, all the things that, that lead to aging or associated with aging are exaggerated on obesity. So when you're carrying excess body weight, uh, excess, and, and some of that fluid, you know, as we know, is associated with just overstimulation of insulin in many cases. We tend to retain mm-hmm. fluid and water. There's an inflammatory component. You know, even the excess body fat that we have drives inflammation. And so certainly uh, those things are... Uh, going on and so yeah it, it's very common for people to go on a carnivore diet they lose weight right away you know a lot of it's fluid and a lot of people mm-hmm. are discounting what's well, this fluid but a lot of times it's, uh, it's an inflammatory component to that yeah. so you just feel better your joints start not hurting as much. i don't know how old you are but when you get in your 50s you know you're if you're not doing things right you notice right away because you've got all the all the mileage that you've taken all the you know all, I, i've put my body through hell over the years you know whether it's rugby or highland games or jujitsu I'm, I'm you know i've been rough on my body but when I'm eating right, it doesn't feel that way. You know, I feel like I'm still, you know, young and doing well. But when I, if I don't eat well, I, I notice it right away. Like, okay, you're 55 again. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What, what 
point did you realize that red meat was becoming demonized? Because I felt like at least growing up, the messaging around red meat was still kind of positive. Like, oh, it's a manly thing. Like, eat a steak, eat a burger. Like, it, the messaging wasn't definitely not it definitely is not what it is today and now it's demonized now you know i know you talk about you know they're promoting eating bugs or like this fake meat or like soy so like what point did you realize in the health sphere that wow like red meat is being demonized it's being blamed for like a lot of things uh well i mean indirectly red meat has been being uh sort of demonized for at least probably 50 years you know probably since the 1970s when uh, we saw in the United States, our, our red meat consumption, particularly beef consumption, went from about 95 pounds per person down to 50 pounds per person. You know, so we wow. something like almost in pounds, half, almost in half what we ate in the seven. Back in the 70s, right? We didn't have obesity to the degree we have now. We didn't have diabetes. We didn't have all these other issues, the autoimmune diseases, the mental health issues. So it has been, you know, picked at for a long time. But but really, what we've seen as some of these large corporations have discovered that there is a potential, you know, uh, hundred plus billion dollar market out there. We've really seen that pick up. I mean, there's always been people that are, you know, sort of uh, have their sort of uh, ethical beliefs that we shouldn't eat animals, whether they're vegan or vegetarian. They've been around for for a long time. The vegan movement started in 1944 in, in the UK, but a vegetarianism has been around for you know a few thousand years at least. And but this really big push has been recently. And you know, honestly. I didn't really pay much attention to it because I really wasn't paying attention to diet that much prior to when I had to you know, fix myself. So mm -hmm. I've noticed it, you know, really gaining traction and really the the the, the sort of the, the 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 ramping up of the of the vitriol against meat has gone on in the last ten years, particularly, and even in the last couple of years. Really, I mean, you know, the last three or four years, it has ramped up and it's continuing to do so. And we're seeing, you know, you know these. Uh, these continued pushes, you know, we've got people in Davos right now, the World Economic Forum, and these folks meeting to discuss how we're going to uh, track your carbon footprint, and we're going to make you personally responsible for that. And yes, that includes perhaps eating meat. And so you're kind of building your own prison uh, with that stuff. They want you to, they want you literally to build your own prison. And, and it's something that I think all of us, you know, this is, I'm going to go speak in front of the, the California Cattlemen's Association uh, in two days and down in Cal down in San Diego. And I mean, it's, it's something I've got to say. We are literally at war uh, for the future of our health and our and our food sovereignty and the health of our nutrition and, and our children's nutrition. So I think we all need to take this very seriously. Mm -hmm. I, I, I do find that when i when i meet people who are vegan i have friends that are vegan and you know i'm always trying to like spew your arguments because i feel like being vegan is almost anti-human in terms of our like dietary patterns what got us to where we are today essentially our nature and you know when they look at food tolerance tests they realize wow red meat if there had to be like a global food that had like the least amount of intolerances, like a lot of people can process red meat. So what are some points you can give me like when I argue with my vegan friends to to kind of in in favor of eating red meat versus veganism? Because when I look at what they're eating and like all the extra stuff, all the processed stuff, all the things they have to do to mimic the the meat, I'm just like, that is just not what it's supposed to be. Yeah, well, I mean, we can look at all the nutrients in, in red meat. Red meat has about 50,000 compounds, and it's not just some protein and fat and a few vitamins. There, there are literally 50,000 compounds found in red meat, some of those which, which are very important to health, which are often found to be low in people on plant-based diets. Those things include things like uh, choline, 
Uh, mm. Choline is important for brain function and brain development. There are things like carnitine. Carnitine, again, we can make it, but we only make a small amount. We get most of it from our uh, what we what we consume in the diet. And it's, you can almost not get any. There's very few plant sources of carnitine. In fact, I think the only one I'm aware of is maybe asparagus. But mm. it's, it's abundant in meat, and that has also been a low carnitine levels are associated with depression. Uh, there is There was a recent study, uh, a meta-analysis looking at children's uh, cognitive performance uh, where, where beef was shown to improve cognitive performance really across the board in just about every category, whether it's mm. math skills, uh, you know, uh, uh, spatial recognition skills, uh, memory, linguistics, vocabulary, on and on and on. So beef provides a huge advantage uh, in that regard. You know, most people, one of the most common deficiencies in the world is iron deficiency anemia. Mm -hmm. Most people have a hard time with iron. The iron coming in plant foods is not as bioavailable as you can get it in things like red meat, which are plentiful with heme iron. Uh, red meat, uh, it, particularly in cholesterol, you know, there's no cholesterol in plant foods. And so cholesterol has been shown repeatedly to provide uh, increased uh, anabolism. So we can build more muscle when we consume cholesterol. So it's not just about protein, it's about other things. Uh, meat is very satiating. Uh, from, from a from a uh, volume standpoint, you can get a tr tremendous amount of nutrition in a small amount of food. Very dense, yeah. Uh, very dense. Uh, you know, it doesn't tend to cause digestive upset. Many, 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 many plant-based people often suffer from you know those call it bloating, which is they they, they they normalize it, but it's not normal. You shouldn't be mm -hmm. bloating after your meals. That is a sign of gut dysfunction. Mm -hmm. problematic with your gut or problems with, with the food you're eating. And so mm -hmm. uh, for gut health, uh, you know, we see that uh, vegans and vegetarians unequivocally have higher rates of mental illness. We just know it, whether it's depression, uh, uh, anxiety, and different various different mental health disorders. That mm -hmm. clearly shows uh, a link. We know that vegans and vegetarians have a higher fracture risk. One recent study showed a 43% increase in fracture risk. The Epic Oxford study analysis showed that all fractures for all causes, vegan diets increase that significantly. Mm. Um, we also know that, uh, you know, there is, uh, uh, you know, significant, uh, you know, meat has so many compounds. Like I mentioned, there's 50,000. We can look at things like carnison. Carnison is pretty important for cardiac function. It's also not found in, in any plant compounds. Uh, we can, on and on. Things like uh, taurine, for instance. Taurine has been linked to uh, improvements in cardiac health and prevention in Alzheimer's. Again, you cannot get taurine from a plant-based diet. So all these things that are found either in red meat or meat in general uh, are so important for, for human optimization, if you will, that you can't get from a plant-based diet. What is your uh, response to when people say, oh, well, the meat that we're eating today is mistreated, therefore you're getting that negative energy from the cow. You know, I've, I've heard this, you know, argument a lot of times. And, you know, sometimes I'm not going to lie, like I might not always go for the grass fed. I, I go for like, you know, just red meat. And I feel like I'm still doing a better thing than eating whatever processed sugars. But how when people point to the actual treatment of the animal as an argument against meat, how how can I respond as someone who's arguing from the carnivore diet perspective? Well, I mean, first of all, uh, go visit a place where they where they keep animals. Go go to a farm. Go to a ranch. I mean, I can. Mm. I've been to many of them. I've been to feedlots. I've been to regenerative pastures. All, without exception, every time I visit these places, these people care tremendously about the health and the well being of their animals. They treat the animals 
with the utmost respect, compare, and compassion. Yes, at the end of the day, they are slaughtered for meat. That's that's the final result here. But these guys have these animals have a better life than they ever would in the wild, for sure. They would never live, you know, most wild prey animals die before they ever reach adulthood. There's studies on that that show this clearly. So mm-hmm. these animals, these cows that, you know, that live, you know, two years or whatever it might be, maybe longer, depending if they're dairy cows, they might live, you know, six to 10 years. Um, that's far more than they would ever get in any, any other situation. And they're comfortable. They're not in pain. They're not suffering. They're not caged up. They're not chained up. It's complete misinformation. Go actually visit a dairy. Go actually visit a uh you know a, a working uh, cattle ranch you're going to see the exact opposite now is there ever an exception to that yes yeah, like anything you i can find hospital behavior which would frighten you to death i can tell you where patients have been punched and kicked i can show you i, I i've been there and seen that happening i mean i know it happens very rarely but that is such a rare thing and what you do is like the, the makers of the movie cowspiracy it took them seven years of undercover operation to get enough footage to make that film because it just happens so infrequently. So they show the worst of the worst of the worst of the worst. They put it on film and they say, well, this is what everybody does. That's complete nonsense. Go down the street, find your local rancher and go talk to them. And most of them are very nice people, you know, and they'll say, Hey, and and see how your food is produced because you don't, you don't uh, understand that. So many of us are removed. And you said you, you know, you have like, I think you said you're in what Toronto or something like that. So, I mean, you obviously Toronto is kind of removed from, maybe Alberta where, where a lot of the rural areas yeah, produced in, in, in Canada in particular. And so, mm-hmm. uh, you just, you know, I would, I would not trust what I say. I would not trust what a vegan activist says, go see firsthand, go, go educate mm-hmm. yourself. And I think you'll have a very different perspective. Mm-hmm. Where do you stand on like white meat, like fish and chicken? Do you consume that? And if not, why? I do sometimes. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think it's fine. I mean, it's a good source of protein. It's a good source of nutrition in general. Um, I tend to just not like it as much. I mean, it's just kind of one of those things. I like to eat what I like. You know, it's one of those yeah, things where, reference. and I think, you know, there's some reasons for this. I think as humans, we're wired that way. I mean, you think about if we believe, if we believe an evolutionary model on humans, um, we know that we were hunting and we had limited technology. We basically had wooden spears for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. It's hard to get a lot of calories in chicken or birds with a wooden spear, but you mm-hmm. kill a big elephant. Mm-hmm. And we clearly did that. You've got, you know, 3 million calories that you can eat on for, you know, weeks and weeks at a time, maybe if, if not months. And we knew how to preserve the stuff. We could dry it. We could put it in the ice. We could actually store it underwater. There's a lot of things that they did. So, I mean, from a, just from a, uh, 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 you know, a efficiency standpoint, that's what we did. Also, you know, back then, if we were relying on meat, which we clearly were, uh, to, to power our big, fo- powerful brain, we needed energy. And those bigger animals tend to have a little more fat on them than these lean, mm. skinny birds and, you know, lean antelopes, which we ended up having to eat later on in, in our, in our, you know, sort of our distant past. Mm. So we, uh, we tend to naturally gravitate towards just meat with a little more fat on it. It just tastes better. We all know that, you know, you mm-hmm. can tell when you bite into a prime grade, you know, filet or ribeye or something like that, man, it's just like, man, this is really, mm-hmm. you just feel, you just get this visceral primal, like, wow, man, this is what my body's craving. You just know it when you eat it. Right. You feel satisfied as soon as I could like you feel full right away. You get that like, I don't know, that mouth pleasure, I guess. I don't know. Like it just gives you a a fulfilling feeling that you wouldn't get off like a cake or a donut. But right. And there's a reason for that. I mean, and I think there were physiologically. I mean, there's a reason why we're attracted to sugar. I mean, there, you know, like I said, but I don't you know, we weren't we weren't out picking donuts off the trees and eating cakes. I mean, it was a little bit of fruit here and there. And we were programmed to go after that stuff. But 
in the reality is for most of the time humans were on earth, that stuff was not very plentiful, you know, for most of us. Now, some people lived maybe in a more tropical region, but remember humans spend most of our evolution, you know, either as homo sapiens and before in ice ages. And so we weren't, mm. it wasn't tropical Costa Rica, or at least for a very, very small percentage of it was, it was mostly like Canada, you know, or you, yeah. you go outside in Canada and try to go eat some oranges off the trees Good luck to you, right? You're not going. To, you're not going to be very successful, but you can probably find some deer, or antelope, and if it's 100,000 years ago, there's there's big old uh, mastodons and mammoths walking around all over the place. What do you think was like the evolutionary function of us being able to perform with like carbs, like in a way that's said to be a little more explosive, a little more readily available? Like you're saying, we would eat fruits, but like did agriculture? kind of play a role in like our physical evolution as well where like you know things like rice and potatoes like we we were able to process because you know with sports they always say like oh yeah like you need like quick carbs for sports uh well i mean if we're going to talk from the evolutionary standpoint of thing um yes i mean agriculture did have a role on our on our physiology and our anatomy you know we actually once we switched from a from a hunter-gatherer society to a agricultural society our brain actually got smaller. Our brain got smaller by about 10%. There's pretty good evidence on that. Our wow. teeth got worse. Our bones got smaller. We got we became smaller human beings. Mm -hmm, uh, and we mm -hmm. see that in, in throughout the world's countries and cultures that have little access to meat tend to be smaller. They tend to yeah. be more stunting. Yeah. We see that. We see that in places like Southeast Asia, uh, different parts of the world where, you know, they tend to rely on grains and, and non-meat products. They tend mm -hmm. to be much smaller. Soy, people. like a lot of soy. And they yeah. tend to be shorter. Yeah, they tend to they tend to be shorter. Mm -hmm. uh, that's starting to reverse. We're starting to see as the nutrition picks up, we're seeing taller and taller populations in there. Mm -hmm. But I mean, as far as I mean, you know, if we look at the evolutionary model, we evolved from some sort of primate. You know, some people say Australopithecine and then Homo habilis and then Homo erectus and on and on and on. You know, until we get to Homo sapien. Uh, and during that time, you know, early, early distant past, you know, maybe five, six, seven, eight, nine million years ago, we were eating a plant-based diet, a frugiferous diet, you know, uh, and so we retained some of that capacity, you know, if you, but if you compare like the digestive tract of like a chimpanzee, which some people say is our closest, you know, primate ancestor or relative, uh, it's very different from humans as far as what percentage of the, of the, of the gut is devoted towards breaking down fiber and fermenting fiber compared to a human. Humans are very similar when you look at the anatomy, the actual hardware and what we can do. We have almost the identical um, uh, percentage of our gut dedicated to fermentation as do dogs and cats, which are both around 15%. Humans are around 16, 17%. Hmm. Whereas like a chimpanzee, 40 to 50% of its gut is devoted to ferment fermenting. And so if you compare like, uh, like for instance, a gorilla we know will spend about 80% of its waking day 80% of its walking day, you know, of the time it's awake will be chewing. So you, can you imagine chewing 80% of the day you're awake? We couldn't have a conversation, right? You'd be chewing the whole time. And, and then the rest of the time, you know, they're pooping and, you know, they're just looking for food all the time because they're so inefficient uh, at extracting nutrition from the food. They have to eat so much. The average gorilla eats something like 50 to 60 pounds of food a day. And then, you know, they weigh 300 pounds, but I mean, hey, I'm 250 pounds. And I don't, I don't eat 60 pounds. I might eat four pounds. So I mean, mm -hmm. you know, it's an order of 10 times more efficient uh, by eating meat. So, but we did retain some of that capacity to handle carbohydrates. And just like cats, you know, the, the average cat can eat up to 60% of its diet can become from carbohydrates. It doesn't mean it's supposed to eat them, but it still has that capacity. And so it just means we had 
uh, ability to survive in situations where maybe maybe meat wasn't always available to us, and sometimes mm-hmm. it wasn't, particularly after uh, the agricultural revolution, where you know meat became a little bit more of a scarcity. So we do have a wonderful capacity to survive on plants. It is, I would call it, survival food rather than thriving. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as far as you know, the, the glycolytic type stuff. Um, Yes, I mean, carbs can be a very efficient and effective way to increase your blood glucose, to increase your glycogen stores. But the, the interesting thing that happens is over time, because mo- no, almost none of us have been on a carnivore diet, particularly not for a long period of time. We just, you know, if you were living in Mongolia, you might have been, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. and because, but growing up here in the West, I mean, we're so used to eating a grain based diet. Uh, but once you shift over to a, uh, you know, a lower zero carb diet, uh, your body gets very efficient at producing glucose through a process called gluconeogenesis from either fat or carbohydrates. So you make plenty of glucose. Like my glucose, when I exercise, it goes way up high because I'm so efficient at doing that. And I'm doing very, very powerful glycolytic activities. I mean, I'm doing heavy lifting. I'm doing jujitsu. I'm, I'm, I'm setting world records on the, on the, on the concept two rowing machine. All that's been done without carbohydrates. So you can adapt. It may, it may take... You know, three months, six months or longer for a lot of athletes. And I know guys, like I said, doing MMA that uh, are on a carnivore diet. And they do just fine. And, and that's clearly, there's clearly a lot of explosive uh, stuff in MMA, as you're familiar. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're actually going to take a quick break with a word from our sponsors. More with Dr. Sean Baker on the Burrow Sound coming up next. This episode of the Burrow Sound is brought to you by our friends over at Hello Piffy. They are a cannabis delivery service based in the GTA. You can find them on Leafly, Seven Days a Weed. Instagram at Hello Piffy and on their website at HelloPiffy.ca. If you tell them that the Burrow Sound sent you, you will save 30% off your order. Enjoy the rest of the show. Right, welcome back to the Burrow Sound. DJs are Dr. Sean Baker in the virtual building. Um, okay, so uh, I was talking to you off air briefly about this. Whenever I, I try carnivore or keto again, and then I try to do heavy lifting, I feel so weak and tired, almost dizzy. I even try to add sodium to my water. Um, and I saw that you had like this hack is like a biohack with salt and water. Can you kind of like give me some tips? Yeah, we, you know, you'd mentioned that you, know, you often lose a lot of water uh, when you go keto and you are, you're becoming relatively dehydrated. Your muscles perform a little better when there's a little more fluid in there. And so one way you can do it is by ingesting carbohydrates, which is going to cause your kidneys to retain salt and water. But the other thing you can do is just ingest more salt and water. And so what I often do is I'll take you know a big amount of water, maybe 32 ounces or more, tablespoon or so of, or sorry, teaspoon or so of uh, salt of some sort. Sometimes I use an electrolyte replacement and drink that you know 30 minutes prior to a workout. And what happens is I fill up with water. It, it fills up my you know my my vasculature, my blood vessels. The muscles swell up with water. Your muscles get you know more hydrated. You, you get a better pump. The other thing you can do is you know when we we know when we're eating meat. Uh, the protein in particular, it takes about three or four hours to see blood glucose start to come up after a big meal. And so if you time it when your blood glucose is peaking, you might also have a better workout. So when I, 2018, I won the world rowing championships and literally three hours before I competed, I had a big three pound tomahawk ribeye. And then I went up and, you know, competed and, and that worked perfect for me. You know, it, it, it worked well. The other thing is, you know, sometimes it's just a matter of time to adapt and it's just kind of just kind of eating enough, making sure you're, because a lot of people, like I said, you under eat, you're too, you're too stuffed and you, you got to make sure you eat enough to uh, perform well. So, but, but typically I tell most people, you know, in general, it's going to take about two months to sort of see adaptation for many people. So it's just you mm-hmm. know, sticking it out long enough in many cases. 
a lot of times what you'll hear from from health professionals is, oh, you know, you're going to miss out on vitamin C. And I know you speak about this. And could you kind of give me the breakdown between the relationship between glucose and, and vitamin C and how much vitamin C we really need and when we need it? Well, I mean, so first of all, you know, lack of vitamin C often produces a condition called scurvy. You know, people may remember the the British sailors would get scurvy, and what would happen is their tissues would break down. They'd have bleeding in their joints. Their skin would crack. Their gums or teeth would fall out. No one on a carnivore diet has seen that happen. This is not happening. We've known for well over 100 years that access to fresh foods prevents scurvy. It doesn't matter if it's fruits and vegetables or if it's meat. Mm -hmm. uh, fresh meat was known to cure scurvy. So as long as you've got enough meat, you're not going to get scurvy. But more importantly, uh, we do know that, say, for instance, vitamin C has a couple things about it that's, that is kind of interesting. We do know that vitamin C, if you look at it uh, on a molecular basis, vitamin C and glucose are very, very similar. They look very similar. And there's uh, transporters across different uh, cell membranes and mitochondria and across our gut lining that you know, they compete with each other. So if you have a lot of glucose, it kind of prevents the vitamin C from getting in. So once you sort of decrease the, the glucose vitamin C can freely transport. We also know that some of the roles of vitamin C, so for instance, vitamin C uh, participants participates in something called the carnitine shuttle, which helps with fat oxidation. And so uh, if you're not consuming vitamin C, but you're consuming meat, you're getting a lot of carnitine in the diet. So you don't need the, the vitamin C so much for that. The other thing we know is vitamin C is an antioxidant. And antioxidants have a function, but guess what? We have other antioxidants in the body. And when we go on low-carb diets, we see all of our internal antioxidants will rise up. And one of them, which you kind of talked about a little bit, is uric acid. So uric acid mm -hmm. actually has a role of an antioxidant. And so why it rises in certain situations, maybe it can cause gout, but a lot of times it goes up and it doesn't cause gout. And it may be because it has a role as an antioxidant. We also know, also we know that red blood cells can actually recycle vitamin C. So you mm. can actually reutilize vitamin C. So I think all of those things uh, are happening in, in the, stat, in, in the uh, setting of a carnivore diet. You know, we just, mm. we just have a decreased requirement for vitamin C on a carnivore diet. I think that's what's being been shown because there is some in red meat, there's some in muscle meat, there's certain organs where vitamin C is particularly high, things like the pancreas and the thymus. Uh, but most people aren't going to eat them. A little liver has some. Uh, but honestly, I, you know, this is interesting. The Harvard University study on a carnivore diet looked at 2,000 people eating a carnivore diet. No one had scurvy. And the people eating, you know, whether they added supplements, whether they added organ meats or not, made no difference whatsoever. So it's just, it's, it's just really not an issue is what it turns out to be. Mm, okay. Uh, can one smoke weed on the carnivore diet? Well, I mean, you can do whatever you want. I mean, I'm not, you know, we're, we're, there's no police there that's going to say, you know, you yeah. can't do this. Um, you know, whether or not it's beneficial or not is up to you to decide. Hormonally, hormonally, like as a doctor, like what would you say, especially from a testosterone perspective, like is there like a correlation? Correlation between the carnivore diet and... No, no, no. Uh, weed consumption maybe and like testosterone overall. I, I guess carnivore diet has nothing to yeah, do with Yeah, well, I mean, I think there's been some studies linking that and showing maybe a per perhaps a problematic effect with that. Um, I mean, you know, I think it's there's pros and cons to that. There's some people that will say that the uh, you know utilization of marijuana, CBD, THC, whatever, has benefits, particularly with regard to uh, pain management. I've seen that utilized. Some people use it, you know, in, in, in effort to help with certain psychiatric conditions. There are some downsides for sure. You know, obviously smoking things 
you're worried about the same things you do with regular smoking as far as you know lungs and stuff like that. So, I mean, you have to put it with that perspective, but the diet is not going to, you know, preclude you or make it better for you to do it. Now I will, cause it, I don't, I have not seen any data on that. I, what I have seen, which is interesting data on drinking alcohol, which is kind of interesting. So we know that for instance, saturated fat, which is always demonized mm-hmm. uh, by, you know, if you're eating animal products or worried about saturated fat, but saturated fat actually protects your liver from damage from alcohol. And we've got animal studies and human studies that, that demonstrate that. So I don't think, you know, when we look at, you know, concerns around saturated fat, and I think they're overblown when it comes to heart disease. In fact, most of the, the literature or a significant amount of the literature right now on saturated fat is showing that it doesn't lead to cardiovascular disease, particularly when it's coming from whole foods like meat and eggs and dairy and, you know, things some people put dark chocolate and things like that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... When you were on uh, Rogan in 2017, you mentioned when the World Health Organization classified red meat as a class two carcinogen and processed meat as a class one carcinogen. What was like the the logic behind that? Was that kind of the beginning of this trend you see of, you know, getting rid of red meat as a part of our culture and kind of shifting towards more like non-meat solutions? Yeah, I mean, first of all, we have to realize that the World Health Organization has a political motive. They're they're not a purely, you know, uh, health centered organization. They're not not an impartial organization, so they do have agendas they want to push. I mean, that's clear. Mm. I mean, I think it's becoming more and more clear to people. And and during that that study, they convened something called the IARC, the International Association for Research on Cancer. They brought together like something like twenty researchers. Many of them already did not like meat. They were already biased with that. They'd actually published it said meat is bad. About a third of those people on that panel were vegan or vegetarian or Seventh Day Adventist. So it was very biased. One researcher named uh, <clears throat> Dr. David Clorfield was on that, and he he talks about this. And he said they completely ignored all data that said that meat was not a problem. They just threw those studies out. They refused to consider them. Uh, they did not conc- declare their their uh, conflict of interest about what their dietary preferences were. Uh, they uh, you know they only used basically epidemiology for the most part, which cannot prove causation. They used a couple rat studies. Most of the rat studies showed no harm. Only a few showed that, that it did have harm, and they they focused on those studies. So it was kind of a bogus, uh, more of a policy statement or a political statement than an actual really true scientific examination of the literature. Now, since that time, there have been several large review meta-analysis looking at the same question. And by and large, they've all concluded that there is either no risk or a tiny, tiny risk, which we can't even support for red meat causing cancer. So I would, you know, even if you believe with all your heart that red meat causes cancer, particularly people like to talk about colon cancer, the things that overwhelmingly drive cancer are obesity, they are chronic inflammation. They are hyperinsulinemia. They are uh, gut diseases like Crohn's disease and also colitis, these inflammatory bowel diseases. And guess what happens when you go on a carnivore diet to all of those things? They all get better, right? You, know, mm. you lose weight, you get leaner, your obesity goes away, your inflammation goes down, your diabetes gets better. All of those things, which are risk factors for cancer, go away. And, you know, you have this huge decrease in your risk. And you maybe have this tiny increase based on the World Health Organization's kind of political statement. So if you understand how to look at the big picture, you can say, you know, look, who are the people that are getting cancer? And it's not this the lean, athletic, muscular people 
uh, that by and large, I mean, there's always an exception. You know, we could put to like guys like Chadwick Boseman, who was a vegan. You know, he, he played, uh, what was it, the, the Black Panther? Black right? Panther, yeah, yeah. He died of colon cancer. He was on a vegan diet. He was a lean athletic. And people would say, well, lean and athletic people get uh, get cancer. Yes, they do occasionally, but it's pretty rare. Most of the people that are diagnosed with colon cancer are going to be obese, sedentary, overweight, you know, pre-diabetic, diabetic, so on and so forth. So meat, a meat-based diet, a carnivore diet, fixes all those things and thus reduces your risk for cancer. I kind of want to switch gears here because I remember when Canelo lost and I think you posted like it had something to do with because he had adopted like this vegan diet for like his fight camp right like and and then even in movies I think Game Changers was the movie where they really kind of like glorified or romanticized like the vegan athlete like it even had me thinking like I should be vegan uh do you feel like uh there's like a certain type of I wouldn't say advantage, but like, what is the disadvantage of being a vegan athlete when it comes to those moments? Like, is it something to do with like endurance? Well, I mean, again, it's not to say you cannot be a successful athlete as a vegan, because clearly some people are. I do think you're limiting yourself. You're putting yourself at a disadvantage. You know, we see tremendous uh, athletes that have overcome various, you know, problems and whether they have diseases, whether they're asthmatic, whether they have diabetes, some people, you know, missing fingers and hands, you know, like uh Jack Machado, you know, he's got deformed, born with a birth defect and he overcame all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So you're basically giving yourself a disadvantage. We know clearly that plant protein is, is, is inferior to animal protein over and over again. It's not that you can't, um, uh, you know, stack protein powders and soy isolates and, and, and kind of make it there, but then you're still, <laughs> You're still struggling because, again, I mentioned the cholesterol being a part of that. Yeah. Um, there is, uh, uh, you know, we see a reduction in power. We see a reduction in healing capacity. There were some great studies out of Italy. There were four studies on, on Italy looking at healing, comparing vegans versus people that eat meat. And across the board, we saw the vegan, vegans could not heal as well. So if you sustain an injury, and I use guys like Cam Newton as a perfect example. Cam Newton had an injury, went vegan, got hurt again, got hurt again, and could never heal properly. He kept struggling to heal uh, we see a number of athletes that are chronically plagued with injuries. Now, being a professional athlete is risky. I mean, a lot of guys, there's a lot of guys that are omnivores get, that get injured, but it, it often seems if you follow up the, the, the athletes that were in the game changers, mm-hmm. almost every single one of them quickly ended up having to, to they got, they got traded, retired, you know, <laughs> the team. Uh, they didn't, they didn't do well. I mean, long-term. So you might mm-hmm. be able to do like, if you're, if you, you'd be amazed, you go see some of these top NFL guys, you know, when they're particularly when they're young, they're 26 years, 25 years old, 22 year old, 23 year olds out of college, they're still mm-hmm. eating garbage. They're eating, you know, McDonald's and crap all day long. And they're still just ripped and super athletes. But, and then you clean that up and put them on a vegan diet. and They're not eating all the garbage. They feel better. Yeah, of course mm-hmm. they are. But mm-hmm. their performance six months, a year, 18 months, usually is what we see. Most of them start to see a a decline in performance. And so it is not what I would prescribe for anybody that wanted to be a serious athlete or to be the best they possibly could. It's just giving yourself a disadvantage for sure. I'm curious to know your thoughts on alkalizing the body, because to me, the strongest, uh, vegan argument i heard was oh all diseases are called caused by ph level acidic ph and you know meat has meat is acidic therefore you know you eliminate that and then your ph will balance and then your body will cleanse itself like is that just kind of mumbo jumbo 
Yes. The short answer is yes. I mean, I mean, if that were true, the cure to everything would be just be eating baking soda. You know, you, you can, mm-hmm. you can, you can alkalize yourself with baking soda, you know, and, and some, there's actually studies looking at that where it does help a little bit with performance for buffering lactic acid. But mm. I mean, our body, you know, you know, particularly our blood is tightly regulated on what, what its pH is. You know, it, it's, it sits between 7.35 and 7.45. And if you deviate from that, either way very much for very long, you really, really get sick. And so we stay pretty, you know, it doesn't pH, fluctuate it, too crazy. Is it can't, you know, if you, so if you like, if our normal pH is 7.4, if it gets down about 7.1, you're, you're basically going to die. So it doesn't, it, you have very little room for pH changes in the body. Now you can, you can acidify and alkalize your urine maybe, but does that really have a big impact on, on you, whether your, your pH is four when you pee or 4.5 when you pee probably has very little bearing um, I think that, uh, you know, yes, there are some, some, some uh, situations where acidity or alkalinity may make a slight difference, but globally over time, do you adapt to this stuff? Um, I, again, I, uh, you know, we see vegans dying of cancer and heart disease as a top two cause of death. They, do, they don't live any longer than anyone else based on most of the credible studies out there, the, Ep- the Epic Oxford study, the, the 45 and up study, the pure study. All these studies show that there's no advantage to being on a plant-based diet, uh, you know, with regard to longevity. And so, I mean, the argument, you you know, I can show you, I mean, for instance, I can, I could put gasoline and pour gasoline on cancer cells and it would kill the cancer cells. You know, you can show that. Yes, true. But does that mean we should be eating and drinking gasoline? No, of mm. course not. It's silly. And so whenever, anytime you use these sort of, you know, well, this is an observation I make, therefore... I should do this or that. It's not how the human body works. It's so complicated. There are literally thousands and thousands and thousands of different reactions that are going on. And you can't just pin it down to acidity or alkalinity or, you know, energy vibration status. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's kind of nonsense, quite honestly. Uh, when I went on Revero and I was looking at the testimonials, I saw that um, one of the things that was cured was acne. And, you know, I'm an adult. And sometimes I still get pimples and I'm like, what is going on? And how would the carnivore diet kind of get rid of acne? Well, I mean, there's a lot of potential thoughts as to why what may be going on. And clearly it does. I mean, we see it all the time and it's something that, you know, most people don't worry about because it's not that it's not a big, it's not like diabetes or Mm -hmm. depression, but uh, you know, there's probably an inflammatory component to, you know, you know, we've got different uh, pores in our skin and if they get inflamed and clogged up, then, Hmm. this accumulation you get it you get a kind of an immune response to that so i think some of that's going on so by driving and decreasing inflammation hmm. uh, it seems to help our skin health again you know as much people are slathering on particularly women are always putting creams and stuff on their on their skin but it's more important what you put in your mouth quite honestly for, with regard hmm. to your skin health you know what you're eating uh, taking in the appropriate amount of you know uh, you know proteins and fat our skin is made out of basically protein and fat and when you're not taking in the right types and the right amounts your skin suffers. It's either dry or cracked, or it becomes too uh, too oily, perhaps, uh, and all those things contribute to. So, to the carnivore diet, for most people, they notice significant improvements across the board in skin health, whether it's acne or psoriasis or eczema or rosacea or dry skin or any of those things. We just see that happening across the board. I can't tell you. I, I don't honestly. We just haven't researched it enough to know exactly all the mechanisms. Everything I can tell you is basically speculative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you, uh, what you guys are doing is really good because you're still collecting real world data. I know like you have people that, you know, you're able to work alongside with and speaking on like 
the growth of this movement when you see because for me i felt like it was you dr jordan peterson joe rogan and now it's liver king so like when when you see liver king like do you feel like it's kind of like a caricature of the carnivore diet or do you feel like ultimately what he's doing is good for the movement um yeah i mean obviously it's a lot of marketing i mean he's a, he's a marketing character let's be honest i mean it's just it's, it's just kind of cartoonish right mm-hmm. um he's he's raising raising awareness i mean you know and i think that's a good thing now people will judge it one way or the other but at least they know about it you know like you like you hear about it at least they're talking about you you know yeah, yeah. so i mean you know and you look at like for instance on google trends carnivore is flying up the up the charts i mean it's blown by mm. All these other diets, you know, it's past the plant-based diet, it's past past the vegan diet. Um, it is it is one of the things that's, that's going there. And I remember two or three years ago, people were telling me, "Well, if we just ignore carnivore, it's going to go away." And what's happening is because people, it, it, because it just works. I mean, the cream rises to the top. People are l- really, really getting results, and you can hate on it as much as you want. And the mainstream media loves to do that. The dietitians love to do on do love to do that because they tell people, well, you, you know, it's, it's okay. You can continue to eat your junk food and carbs in moderation. And that works for, that works for the people that can, it can work for, but you know, you can't, mod, you can't moderate something you can't moderate. And, you know, I can't moderate ice cream. I mean, I can't just have one little scoop. I mean, after mm-hmm. that, I'm gonna eat the whole damn jar. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's, it's like, uh, you know, the whole damn pint, whatever it's, it's like that. So, uh, yeah, whether he's doing now, you know, <laughs> I think there's a part where it's like if people think they have to eat raw liver and testicles and that's, brain, that's what I mean. Yeah, it's going to turn some people off, right? But that's not what you need to do. I mean, I, I, I mean, like I said, that's I've had arguments about this since I started. All the all the data I have on people that either do that or don't do that, there's no difference in the outcomes. And in mm-hmm. fact, some people are yeah, some people are actually getting sick eating too much of the organ stuff and you know, the raw meats and stuff like that. I, I know significantly know, know of several people that have gotten really, really sick from doing that. So mm-hmm. I, you know, like I said, it's a, it's a double-edged sword. I mean, it's, it's kind of neat to see the awareness being out there that people are doing this. Uh, but at the same time, it's like, you know, you don't need to do all that stuff to, to, to be, you know, primal or optimal mm-hmm. or ancestral, you know, all this kind of, kind of stuff. And, you know, it's like, uh, uh, Anyway, I'll leave it at that. What what I find that I don't know if it's the mainstream media that does this directly or indirectly, but they're trying to align the carnivore diet with like figures that are more right wing, you know, and it's like, oh, it's kind of like a broader spectrum of like, oh, if you're carnivore, you're probably this, 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 too, you know, and I don't like that because it kind of robs people of the genuine knowledge and like the lifestyle and the health benefits that the carnivore diet can give you. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's always this divide and conquer strategy, you know, and I think we see it along a lot of things. You know, we're we're very divided as a nation, as as a culture, across multiple things. Whether you pro or anti vaccine, or you're pro or pro feed of freedom, or pro Mm -hmm. more authoritarian approaches, or you know, you by racial lines or or whatever, and it's Mm -hmm. like political lines. It's all a bunch of BS, in my view. I mean, we're all ultimately human beings. We all ultimately want the same thing. Most of us want to be healthy, healthy and happy. And nutrition plays a big role here. Mm-hmm. And to demonize it and say, well, only right-wing neo-Nazis eat meat or something like <laughs> that. So we, I saw something the other day. It was like fitness. Guys that work out are, are right-wing. Yeah, guys. yeah. It's like all oh, the extremist like, yeah, gym yeah, guys. I'm like, yeah, exactly. It's just, it's just complete nonsense. But but we see that. And you know, it's, it it is, is clickbait. It's, it's clickbait. It's headlines. You know, Some people buy into it. Most people that are halfway intelligent just kind of ignore that stuff. And I hope more people do. But at the end of the day, 
Uh, I, I tell people, I don't care what your, I don't care who you are. I don't care what your background is. I don't care what your beliefs are. If you, if you want to get healthier and, and you're interested in, in eating meat, I'm happy to, to help you the best I can. And I, I've mm-hmm. said that multiple times and, and that, that's true. I mean, I just think, I think the more healthy, happy people we have on the planet, the better the planet is. You know, when we have mm-hmm. gr- grumpy, pissed off, anxious, angry people, it's just not a good place to be. It's just not fun. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's better when everybody gets along, I think. Oh, you're absolutely right. And speaking on helping people and helping them optimize their happiness and health, tell me about Rivero Health. How did you kind of start it and where is it at now? I saw the post that you posted recently, like you guys are getting pretty big. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, we've been, you know, formerly we were called Meet RX, And so we basically use carnivore diets to help people with their health. And we were able to successfully basically take care of thousands of people, get them off medications. I think 80% of our Folks that, that did it for more than three months came off, you know, either all or most of their medications and they were reverse diseases and they're happier and healthier. And it's, you know, it's just all around a good thing. And it's something we were like, well, we just want to continue to, uh, we were limited by the fact we weren't a medical company. We, 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 we weren't prescribing or deprescribing medications because you you can't do that without a, without a medical practice. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're, we're going towards that. We're also using AI to help us with figuring out some sort of complexities around lifestyle that, that uh, we've discovered seem to seem to be there. What makes one person different from another person? What with a person with this disease may have different needs than a person with a different type of disease. And so we're, you know, we're expanding. We went through, we just raised some money. We raised uh, basically $5 million here in over the last couple months to help us to grow that, uh, that practice, that platform. So we're hiring physicians. We're doing some research. We're doing, some of the you know infrastructure building the building the platform doing the app building and all that stuff so that's where we are uh, now uh, like I said we just finished up the fundraising part now we're going to start to work for the next oh year or so and then you know start to build what we want to build and and our goal is again unlike most healthcare systems or practices our goal is expressly to get people off medication reverse disease get them get them healed and cured by any means necessary. We're going to do what it takes, you know, whether it's diet, whether it's lifestyle, whether it's using technology, uh, you know, getting up in your face, whatever you need. <laughs> our, that is our mission is to, is to make people healthier by any means necessary. And, and, and that's what we'll do. That's a true physician in the Hippocratic sense, because you're really just looking for the way to really rejuvenate people you're not trying to make money off them and because it's very like it's inexpensive it's i see it's like 15 dollars a month it's like a netflix subscription and you're connected to this whole community of people you have access to physicians are they able to like talk to you too like what comes with that monthly subscription well right now it is what we have now is a community i'm there every day i mean i spend like every, seven days a week 365 days a year i'm there you know so i, I they have access to 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 whatever with me we have coaching we have all kinds of resources we have access uh you know we can put you in touch with physicians now once we expand our physicians will work for us and so it'll be a little bit different relationship uh that we'll have but right now like i said that 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 sort of basic model allows a ton i mean we've gotten some we've gotten literally thousands of people healthy with just that and so we want to we want to continue because a lot of people are frustrated because they don't have a physician. They'll do the diet, but they'll like my physician to support me mm-hmm. or they don't know how to deal with this stuff. And so we want to have those physicians on board that are philosophically aligned with, you know, getting people off medications, understand how to do that. They're not going to give them a hard time, tell them, oh, don't eat meat and stuff like that, like mm-hmm. many of them will. 
Mm -hmm. It's interesting because for a physician to want that, it's almost like they're an anti-establishment doctor now when what they're doing is really the essence right. of medicine, right? Yeah, that's why I went into medicine. I mean, initially, I mean, at the very basic, you know, when I was a 15 year old kid thinking about being a doctor, why is it cool to be a doctor? Oh, because you help people. And then, you know, then you kind of get beaten down by the system. And then it's just about, you know, grinding the wheel. And, you know, and, 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 and it, you find that after a period of time, after, you know, 10 years into the practice, I'm like, man, all I'm doing is just, you know, turning this wheel around and I'm not really helping anybody in real the way I wanted to. And so now it gives us a chance to, to hopefully do that. Do you feel like a lot of doctors kind of realize that, like their dreams kind of come crushing down, especially I feel like in America, it's different because you guys, it's like privatized, like here, it's like public health care, but there it really is more of a lucrative business and probably more heavily like focused on what you're prescribing. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of a lot of physicians are burnt out, you know, frustrated with the with the with the system. Uh, but, you know, many of them are trapped. I mean, it's like, what else can you do? I mean, you know, it's tough to spend 10, 12, 15 years of your life in training and then like hate your career or realize that, you know, but it's very easy just to stay quiet and just kind of just, okay, I, I know I'm not helping people like I want to, but I'm still making a good money. And a lot mm. of people, they come out of it in, in a huge amount of debt. You know, they spend 10 years paying out of paying off debt. They, they, they end up, you know, 400,000, half a million dollars in debt from their training. And then it takes them 10 years to pay it back. And by that time they're like, okay, I'm just kind of sucked into this system. And there's no real good way to get out. But I do have, you know, it's kind of interesting. As we announced this business, I've had so many physicians reach out and say, hey, man, let me know because I want to work for you. I want to work with you guys because you're doing the right thing. And that's how I feel. So I think that there is some awesome. hope. So it's good. I like that. Well, before we wrap up, first of all, I'd like to thank you so much for your time. It's been so insightful. Uh, have you ever been to Toronto or Canada? And if so, what do you think about it? I've been I've been to Canada multiple times. Uh, I've been mm. to Toronto once. It was in, it was like in January, so it was cold. <laughs> this January or like no, it was January, like okay. I don't know, about twenty years ago or ten. I think what you were trying to remember the year it was. It was probably uh, two thousand four or something like that. Is when I was mm. last there. Uh, it was pretty. It was neat. I was mostly underground, as I recall. It was Toronto in January, so I was underground a lot. Of, but mm. I've been to Calgary. I've been to. Uh, 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 Vancouver several times. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's beautiful. I mean, you know, I mean, the, the places I've been, I, I particularly like, you know, British Columbia is just really pretty. So mm. neat scenery. Yeah, Canada is a neat place. I Hopefully it opens up and it kind of gets less crazy from all this pandemic silliness that's going on. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully uh, JT, you know, kind yeah. of eases up a little bit. I'll probably have to censor his name just in case this video is flagged. <laughs> but uh, Dr. Sean Baker, thank you so much. Make sure you guys check out Revero Health. That's Revero.com, correct? Yes, R-E-V-E-R-O. R-E-V-E-R-O, like reverse, Revero. Revero. And make sure you check out Sean Baker 1967 on Instagram. He has a really good Instagram page. My favorite videos are when you eat a steak and you just like react and remix a vegan video imitating yeah. meat. I don't know how you came up with it, but it's genius. And for some reason, it's it's funnier each time. <laughs> it yeah, doesn't get old, you know. I get some. There's some goofy stuff out there, so there's no there's no limit to the to the nonsense that you can do that with. So anyway, thank you very much.